Amen. It's good to see you guys. You uh, may have not known it, but for the past few years, um, I blame you guys. Um, I've been on this, this mission to find the answer to a theological topic that's vexed my life. The one of where everything is God's will. Like that, if we're here, it's God's will. If you had a car accident, it's God's will. And, and I remember sitting through, you know, this like perpetual chaos of like, what is the will of God? And I would, I'd attend lectures and read literature on God's will. And the whole conclusion was basically, it's impossible to know the will of God. And a lot of the modern thought about the will of God is actually more philosophy than it is scripture. And so I was challenged by a longtime mentor of mine at the time. He's like, well, why don't you just go find every passage on the will of God? Well, that's a good idea. And most modern teachings and thoughts might pull like 10, maybe 20 passages on the will of God. But when I searched, and it took me a long time, there are 70 passages on the will of God. Now, for reference, there's almost 70 in the New Testament alone, and that's more mentions than the devil or Satan mentioned combined. So the topic of the will of God is this amazing topic that I just got immersed into, and out of all 70, the conclusion comes down to three really clear things. And it totally transformed my life. But you know what it really transformed is how I looked at myself. I love that Laura shared that, that we pray for sickness because there's no sickness in heaven. That Jesus prayed that your will in heaven would be done on earth. Well, that's kind of weird because I thought all things that happen on earth are God's will. But how can Jesus pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven if everything that happens on earth is God's will? Wait a second. That doesn't make sense. When Jesus talks about the little ones and says it's not the will of God that any one of these little perish, he's referencing something that isn't the will of God. Wait a second. All of a sudden, my mind is like starting to to twist and turn over like, wait, is everything that I see on earth, is is God? Because we all hear the things like God is sovereign, God is in control. Everything happens for a reason. We mention the will of God in all these different ways. And so all these thoughts are just tormenting me about the truth. And so anyways, it took me a long time to parse through it, but I formed a book um, and just recently finished it. And I blame that guy over there, DJ. <laughs> over there, I, I, when I had my first draft, I sent it to that guy. I'm like, I, is this thing worth pursuing? And he encouraged me with a couple other people too. And um, so anyways, this right here is the, probably the accumulation of my life's work. Um, but... He's not even started his life's work. I don't even know what he's talking about. So, a few things to notice in here. On the very inside page, it's dedicated to Epic Life. It's you guys. Like, I learned all of this, and and you guys are what, you know, drove me to seek this out. Also, on the back, you'll notice it's Epic Life Publishing, which does not exist besides you guys. That's a little joke for you guys. Um, But in here... Here's what you're going to find. You're going to find crystal clear definition of the will of God. Take all 70 passages. I discover them. I explain them. They make perfect sense. That's the first half of the book. The second half of the book is what does it mean? It is insane. Here's the biggest answer you're going to find out. You are the answer to God's will being done on earth. 
If you're like wondering, like, well, why do you, you know, we talk so much about believing in our power and authority. Well, where does that come from? It actually comes from the will of God. If you're feeling insecure about yourself and your role on this earth, it's because you don't know the will of God for your life. So if you want to know that, um, I have it here. I have a little picture up here we're going to show. So because I just thank you guys so much for helping make this happen, all of you guys get a copy of this tonight. So there's a little way, I, I, I can't just like make it that easy. So there's a little step that you have to go through. So um, because I'm so passionate about the truth, about the will of God, because I'm so passionate about how clear the will of God is and that every single believer needs to know the truth, I acquired the domain name willofgod.com. Don't ask me how much I paid for it. Our children will go to a lesser college because of it. But um, I want to, my mission is to be the number one way that people search and discover and find the will of God. So you guys have helped shape that. So that website, uh, willofgod.com, um, is where I'll have some of the writings. But if you want the book tonight, I just ask that you just go to that little address, willofgod.com epic. All it is is just your name and your email. Why do I want that? Because I want to follow up with you. That's all. And you put it in there, it's gonna send you an email and it'll just say, hey, was received. So at the end of tonight, you can come back there and get a copy. I just wanna know that I have a way to touch base with you. Um, I'm so convinced about the truth that's revealed in the book that um, any of your friends, if they buy it from the website willofgod.com, if they are not impacted by it um, in their faith, I'll refund their money. I don't know if there have ever been a book that's like done a money back guarantee, but we'll see how it goes. So um, anyways, that's there. So go to that address, put in your email, check your email then, and then in the back, you guys all get free copies. Cool. My one request to that in getting a free copy is if you're the kind of person that never reads any books ever, and you're like, I'm not gonna read that book, I'm just gonna grab it because it's free, don't grab it. <laughs> I really want those who take it um, to really read it. And uh, so I love you guys. This is all for you. Thank you so much. All right. What time is it? Oh, man. I better get preaching. That wasn't the message tonight, but <laughs> Gavin last week was like joking that I should start the messages because I'm in like the middle of these multi series to do almost like a previous. At Epic Life. So I'm going to try that. If you're joining us, we're in the middle of understanding who God the Father, Daddy God is. And we came across this challenge about that we fear in our hearts the punishment of God for how our decisions play out and the consequences we have for our life. And so we discovered that fear and love are incompatible. You cannot authentically love someone you fear. But yet we seek to develop the fear of the Lord as a discipleship virtue. We are all striving to develop fear of the Lord, but we don't realize is fear is the primary ingredient to poisoning intimacy. As we strive to build fear of the Lord, we're actually distancing ourselves from the heart of God. And we're discipling a generation of people into a fear-based relationship with a loving father who wants intimacy with their hearts. But wait! Hebrews 12 says that the Lord scourges his sons. That sounds like punishment. But what we realize is that the author of Hebrews, when he's quoting 
that the Lord scourges his son, he's actually quoting Proverbs 3, and Proverbs 3 doesn't have the word scourge, that they misquoted it. But yet we built this entire theology around that God scourges his son when it doesn't say that in the original quote. So then how does God dis discipline us? With his voice. The greatest gift he could ever give you is his voice. And if he wants to correct you, he uses his voice. The scripture says that he reproves you. He reproves you who you are. When you fall down, the God, the God of the universe doesn't come and say, how dare you? He says, I'm going to reprove to you who you really are. And that we have two choices when we fall, that we either can partner with shame, which shame, shame says, I'm exactly what I did. Shame is the agreement with the devil that what you did is who you are and you deserve to feel all the bad things about you. But God's discipline through his voice produces regret, which is different because regret says I'm actually not my circumstances. I'm not my behavior. I'm not my failure. I'm better than that. And so that's where we left off over these past few weeks. But there's one crazy critical truth in the whole topic of a loving father who speaks to his children. And we're talking about discipline in this. Because everyone talks about discipline this way. The bad circumstance you have, it's God's discipline. That flat tire, it's God's discipline. That relationship that fell apart, that's God's discipline. You're getting sickness, you're divorced, you fill in the blank. It's God's discipline. Modern theology looks at a circumstance and says, the circumstance is God's discipline for how you misbehaved. That's just scourging, that's like diet scourging. <laughs> you know, it's like scourging light is to have God inflict you with misfortune and call it discipline. But that doesn't make sense when it's God's voice. But here's the one aspect to the whole entire discussion of discipline that changes everything. It's this. is that God made you powerful. God made you powerful. He gave you a mind and he gave you a will, which you'll learn about your will in the Will of God book. He gave you a mind, he gave you will, and then he gave you power and authority. He gave you a mind, he gave you a will, and then he gave you power and authority. Praise Jesus, we're not robots, amen? That we're not slugs, that we're not anything that's just like kind of like roaming around, that he made you with a mind, with a will, and he gave you power and authority. And Jesus says this in Matthew 16, before he goes to the cross, he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will bind in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, you'll loosen in heaven. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. One of the most overlooked passages is like, well, that's awkward. I'm going to move past it. And what people don't know, I'm teasing the book some more, is that you are shaping the world for the will of God. You have the keys that Jesus has promised you to shape this world. And to do amazing things in the kingdom. But you have the power for good and also you have the power for evil. It's kind of like a scalpel. I have physicians in my family. My father's a physician. My father-in-law's a physician. My wife's a veterinarian. My brother-in-law's a physician. Oh, there's a lot of smarter people in my family than me. And consider a scalpel. Something so sharp it can save your life with great precision. But if you misuse it, it actually can take your life. 
And that's how we are in the kingdom. Your life is actually more powerful than a scalpel. How do you learn to use a scalpel? I wouldn't know because I've never been taught. But if I was to learn, it'd be through relationships. Someone would teach you, would show you what it's capable of, what its dangers are. And they would teach it to you in relationship. What's the point of that? Is that relationship is how you learn to develop your power without hurting yourself. You are the most powerful force. You're the most powerful idea God ever devised in his mind. But it's in relationship is in how you develop your power without hurting yourself. And this is kingdom principles. Is that your power and your choices are designed to be released from a place of relationship with him. We learn our power and authority to use it through relationship. Your power and authority in the kingdom is designed to originate from a place of a relationship with God. It's how we learn to correctly use it. But that's problematic when we don't have a very good relationship with God. How do you learn to develop accurate and correct ways to use your power and authority when you don't have a deep and vibrant relationship with the king? We have partial information. We try to put it upon ourselves. But relationship is how we learn to correctly use that power and authority. And as I go deeper in relationship with God, the funny thing about it is the further I go in relationship with God, I don't learn more about him. I actually learn more about me. It's the craziest thing. The deeper I go in relationship with God, it's not like I'm, I'm awestruck by his glory, but I'm just awestruck of who he made us. I'm just completely blown away that, that God has designed us for relationship to be within him and have his mind, have his spirit, and to be his vessel, have his will influence our wills, and then we shape the world. It transforms everything when we learn that. But that's why the voice of God is so important in your life is that it's supposed to be the companion to your power. You have a birthright to be powerful in the kingdom. You believe in Jesus, bam! You are like just zapped with Holy Spirit power, but it's to be a companion to relationship. And there's where we get it wrong because most Christians are dysfunctional to one of two extremes. Most Christians will come over here and they, they want to get real pious, really religious, get attendance right. Woo! They want to try and get their life in check and they have no desire for the power. That's where we get a lot of our modern thought like, well, the supernatural is not for today. Healing's not for today. Holy Spirit's not for today. Let me tell you, it takes zero faith to believe that God doesn't do signs and wonders. It takes zero faith to be a skeptic. Deep, isn't it? The other extreme is people who are so power hungry to do things for the kingdom that they don't want the deep relationship. You ever met someone who's like radically gifted? They're just so gifted, but yet there's something missing is that their gifting outweighs the depth of their intimacy with the king. But true power, if you want to be a world changer in the kingdom, you couple those two things. You combine the relationship you have with your king and you are united with the power and authority that he's already given to you. Those two things, walking in them together is what changes the world. Because the power of God was never designed to operate outside of relationship with him. If you are operating your faith as a salvation-only fire insurance Christian with no power, you are operating out of your design. 
If you're seeking the power, you're seeking all the signs and wonders, you're seeking the giftings, but you do not cultivate the relationship with God, you are a dysfunctional Christian as well. You're operating out of design. Now, it's a good thing the disciples themselves had a relationship with God as they were learning their power. It came in handy in Luke 9 when they were approaching a Samaritan village and Jesus ascends forward for them to be received and the village rejects the Messiah. So sorry, no soup for you. Says you cannot come here. And the disciples say this. They say, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And Jesus turned to them and rebuked them and said, you do not what kind of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Yeah. It's a good thing that the disciples were in a relationship with Jesus, otherwise that village would have been burnt toast. <laughs> but because their power and authority was coupled with the relationship, Jesus is like, uh, how about not? <laughs> but our modern theology about God's discipline would have said, well, Jesus is going to send a holy fireball down that village. How dare you reject the Messiah? The discipline of the Lord is coming upon you. Our theology would actually say that God would discipline that village by calamity, by saying, yeah, send it down there. Fire in the hole, you know. And that village would be burnt toast. But you also notice a little detail, too, that believers can react to a circumstance out of the wrong spirit. That's a different talk for a different time. But power and relationship are designed to go together. That's how you become a world changer. Is that you live in deep relationship with the Father and exercise your power and authority that God has given you. Are you with me? I'm still talking about discipline. You're like, I don't get it. I'm talking about discipline still. Is that when we connect these dots about our power and authority in the Father's heart, we get the revelation, the discipline. Let me uh, show it for you. Do you know the two things that a father says the most to his children besides hopefully I love you? And maybe in our house, go to sleep. <laughs> it's like, please go to sleep. I'll give you anything. Go to sleep. The two things that a father, a good father, says the most to his children you can do it, listen to daddy. The two most common things a good father tells his children, besides I love you, you can do it, listen to daddy. They both are declarations of the child's power. The first is teaching the kids you are powerful. You can do it, that's a declaration of power. When God looks at you and says, you can do it, it's a declaration that you, what is in you is greater than what's in the world. It's a declaration of that you were made powerful on purpose, not accident. No power suddenly escaped from heaven and splashed onto you by accident. When God the Father says, I believe in you because of what is in you, he's making a declaration of power. And that is what a good father does, says you can do it. The greatest gift I plan to give to my children is to teach them that they're victors instead of victims. Is to show them that who they are is powerful to be able to change their circumstance and to change the world. The second part, listen to daddy. It's teaching kids how to use their power. Listen to daddy. It's a declaration that you are powerful, but let's do this thing together, shall we? 
It's, it's taking on the form of listening from your father to understand how to use your power. Now, here's the funny thing about parenting. I got two kids. Is that as your children begin to understand their power, they begin to resist the willingness to listen. These things go hand in hand. As they begin to understand and witness their own power, their interest in listening to you begins to diminish. And with power and authority comes the allure of self-sufficiency. With power and authority comes the allure of self-sufficiency. It's an intimacy-killing force. It's also a form of pride. But here's the thing, it's present at birth. It's kind of like one of these things that's like innate in us. For example, uh, Maverick, our son, who's now two and a half, when he was learning to walk and he finally like walked, he was convinced that he had like mastered life. He's like, I got this walking thing down. He's like, got his new lease on life. He's like, I can go wherever I want. And so we live in a house right now that has stairs. It's like, thanks, dad. I don't need you anymore. And I like walk with him. I was like, buddy, like, come on, hold daddy's hands. We go to the stairs. No, my do it. So I said, my do it. He's like, buddy, hold daddy's hand. My do it. My do it. Like, you know, and just like fall over. And he would like have these crazy tantrums when he, he wouldn't get his way. Listen to daddy, buddy. Hold daddy's hand. And we would do that. We had like these epic struggles. I just would eventually just like carry him. <laughs> like, I'm not letting you go. But he insisted time after time, my do it. And then one day, while insisting on walking the stairs by himself, he tumbled. Tears. I tumbled the stairs. I'm like, buddy, we hold him. And you know what? To this day, whenever we approach the stairs, he's like. <laughs> Sometimes a stubborn child has to hurt themselves before they finally listen to their daddy. Daddy God made you so powerful. He made you powerful. You can do it and listen. But sometimes we as God's children, we get so stubborn that sometimes that we have to hurt ourselves before we decide to listen to our daddy. Sometimes you have to try it your way and get it wrong before you'll even consider God's way. We usually don't like second opinions. We have an idea. If you had a friend like, I have an idea, and a friend's like, that's a bad idea. Like, I'm defriending you. <laughs> like, we don't take alternative ideas to our ideas very well. I'm someone who unfortunately gets, like, when I get, like, a bee in my bond, I get something like, I want it. Like, I just, like, don't get in my way. I don't have the words no, you know, in my life too often. So I get it. So when I get an idea, like my soul gets crushed to like not be able to do it. But we're the same way. Here's the confusion is that a father never wants you to get it wrong. A good father never wants you to get it wrong. But sometimes getting it wrong is the only thing that takes it for you to listen and God allows that. That is where the discipline of the Lord comes in place, is that it's making you powerful and also allowing you to experience the result of your powerful choices. Meaning this, 
is that God's discipline is that he won't shelter you from the outcomes you insist on having. God's discipline is that he won't shelter you from the outcomes you insist on having because it would violate you in being the powerful you that he made you. And we see this dynamic where God actually wrestles with like, he made you so powerful. He's like, what did I do? He just, he has no other choice but to love you with freedom. It says this in Psalms 81.12. This is God lamenting in the Psalms. It says, so I gave them over to their stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. It's echoed again with Paul in the Romans letter. It says, therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Now, a lot of our theology would say, well, it's God's will for them to do those things. Or it's God's will for us to have that stubbornness, like everything. You know, and, and here we're seeing God is like torn because he made you powerful, but in his love, he must give you freedom for you to experience your own power. God clearly doesn't want you to do the thing that you're doing. And he's going to try everything in his power within relationship to steer you away from that bad idea. But he actually loves you enough to let you have your own way. Because love requires freedom. And love does not control. Why else does God allow us to make wrong decisions? Aren't you like fresh like, God, why did you allow me to do that? Because <laughs> it's not because you're not equipped. It's not like you didn't have any other options. It's not like there wasn't any other forces in your life bringing dynamic communication to you. This is God's voice at active in play in your life. Why does God allow us to make wrong decisions? Because God gave you his voice so that you could make the right decisions. We get rewards in heaven. Amen? Amen, we get rewards in heaven. How do you get a reward for doing something right if you don't have the opportunity to do something wrong? Like there's no participation trophies in heaven. There's no participation trophies in heaven. Some people are like, oh, no, I don't want to do things for, you know, the, re the reward in heaven. I should do it for the glory. I'm doing it for the rewards. Are you kidding me? It's like God promises, like, he's going to give us good gifts in heaven. Like, our lives matter. And it, like, I don't know what the rewards are in heaven, but I plan to find out. I have no problem storing up behaviors here on earth for something that's eternal. But sometimes we want to, like, lower ourselves. Like, no, I'm just in it for, you know. The Father's like, I give you rewards for doing the right thing because you're bombarded with the opportunity to do the wrong thing. And this is why the voice of the Lord is so powerful, is that not only does it reprove you when you fall, it says, that's not who you are, get back up, you are a righteous and chosen son, not that sin and shame that you just committed. He says, get back up, but the other thing that the voice of the Lord does, it tells you to stop hurting yourself. It tells you, like, it doesn't have to be this way. The voice of the Lord is not only amazing in its discipline to bring us back and restore us, it's actually amazing in its way to help us prevent ourselves from hurting ourselves. But the problem is, is that most of us Christians, we only seek the voice of the Lord after we've hurt ourselves. We only go and like seek after God after we've made a mess. 
And we don't seek it in order to avoid the mess. We actually believe that God usually only talks to us through bad circumstances, such as like, I got in a car accident, I lost my job, I got arrested, I lost a friend, I got hospitalized. And people will shake their fist at the sky and be like, God, what are you trying to say? And God is up in heaven just like, oh my gosh, again? Why? It says God gave you his voice so that you would dialogue with him before you made the mess. See, what we do is we look at a circumstance and we say, God, what are you saying in the circumstance? What's the sign here? We're all into signs. Like when Camille would write me emails when we were dating in college, I like analyze every single word. Oh, she put a double space between that word. What does that mean? She writes, see you soon, smiley face or winky face. What does it mean? What are the signs? I know, dysfunctional for sure. But in our faith, instead of having a relationship with God where we hear his voice and commune with him when things are just normal, not on fire, instead of doing that, we look at a situation and we try and find it as a sign. And Jesus said, only an evil and wicked generation seeks a sign. Now that might bother you, because, well, wait a second. Well, we have signs and wonders. Like, they're called signs when Jesus returns. Well, how do you make sense of that? It's because Jesus said it beforehand in relationship. The Old Testament prophecies, he spoke in relationship so that when it happens, he's proven. We have it backwards. I have a flat tire. Maybe I shouldn't take this job. God, what are you saying, you know? We go backwards, and evil generation, basically like those who don't have relationship with me. Only people who don't hear God's voice try to take an event and translate it backwards into something God isn't saying. So whether we have this car accident, you know, like, God, what are you trying to tell me? He's probably like, well, maybe you shouldn't, like, text and drive, Maybe. When you, like, lose your job, God, what are you trying to tell me? He's like, well, you kind of showed up late, like, 86 days in a row. Like, God, I got arrested. What are you trying to tell me? He's like, maybe you shouldn't have joined ISIS. I don't know. (laughs) Terrible. But Jesus is talking to us through our circumstances He's, he's talking to us during them, not through them. That's what I meant to say. He's talking to us during our circumstances, not through them. But we draw these divine conclusions to the discipline of God as being our circumstances when God is simply letting us have the natural consequences to our choices. You see, God's discipline doesn't come in the form of whatever outcome we experience. God's discipline comes in the form of letting you have the outcome you created. And just like a child who insists on hurting themselves, that you will also hurt yourself if you neglect the voice of the Lord. God didn't hurt you, but you hurting yourself is what sometimes it takes for you to eventually have a second opinion about your choices. And when our ideas fail miserably, we're usually open to hearing from other people's perspectives. 
that funny, that idea you had? And you're like, no one's going to talk me out of it. And then it completely goes to shambles. You're like, so what were you saying about that six months ago? And there's a part of us. I love how Eric fathers so many people. And he's like, you can, you know, have that mess for as long as you want. I'm not going to stop you. He has a little saying like, you can sit in that poopy diaper, but it's going to stink for as long as you want. It's avoidable, but if that's what you really want, that's what you're going to have. And God loves you enough to let you have your own way, but that also means that he loves you enough to let you prove yourself wrong. I hate being proven wrong. Take it from me. You do not want to live a relationship with a God where you're being proven wrong by your own decisions and actions. But this is what it means to walk humbly with the Lord. People are like, I want to walk humbly with the Lord. What it means is actually you're in relationship. And second, your mind isn't made up. If you want to have a vibrant relationship with God, try living a life that doesn't have your mind always made up. Be available to having your mind changed. But it's a declaration that you would listen before you act because you've been made powerful and your choices create life and they also can create death. And God's always been speaking to you about the way to go. He's always speaking to you, but it's just a matter of whether or not you want to listen. Oftentimes I hear people like, I want to hear the voice of God. It's like, he's always talking. There's not a talking problem, there's a listening problem. I can tell you that much. But sometimes we want to get confused about like how God talks to us because, you know, we look at Joey over there and Joey's got this one like, you know, same way that God always talks to him and that's not what I experienced. Well, I got news for you. I don't interact with my two kids the same way with each other. I interact with one child one way that works for them. I interact with the other child that works for them. So when you are troubling to try and find God's voice and you're looking to somebody else, you're doing it wrong. It's like, stop looking to someone else for how God talks to you. Look to yourself and look at the ways that God's uniquely made you in which he's going to speak to you through what he's already made in you. It's the most efficient way for him to do it. But if this is true, there's a crazy conclusion. If this really is true, there's a crazy conclusion to this is that you will make mistakes to the extent you resist listening to the voice of God. We do need a, like a mic drop pillow here. Just to... You will make mistakes to the extent you resist listening to the voice of God. Your mistakes will be a direct reflection on how you hear and obey the voice of God. Now, when I felt the Lord like impress that on me, I was like, that one hurts. But it changes how we look at failure now. Is that failure is not beating yourself up about how awful and sinful you are. You simply need to do a better job at listening and obeying God. My daughter, like, I'll tell her different things. Like, this happened last night. Like, hey, I'm like, telling her, come on in, come on in. And she's not listening. And so, like, I, like correct her. And she cannot handle feeling like, She's like, I'm not 
thrilled, laughing with tears with her. She cannot handle being in any position with me out of perfection. And so she utterly melts and she like pushes herself. It's our natural tendency to push ourselves into this like lowly spot. I'm just telling her, I just want you to listen to daddy. I don't care what you did. I don't care. I promise. I'm not mad at you. I'm happy. See, like, I just want you to listen. That's all. I don't even want to talk about what you did wrong. I just want you to listen. And sometimes I wonder if that's in our faith. As we make such a big deal over what we did wrong, and we're talking to God about what we did wrong, he's like, I just, can I just, just listen? I just want you to listen. We can talk about that all you want, but, but personally for me, when my children act out, I actually don't want to talk about what they did. Like, I want them to know what the right decision is, but then I'm like, over it. I'm totally over it. I just want you to listen because I was telling you all this time to be careful, to listen to what I told you. And let me also say on this is that not every bad outcome that happens in your life is a result of you not listening to God. Like you might have a flat tire and it's like, well, some idiot left glass on the road, you know? Like sometimes we look too far into it. So not every outcome in every circumstance is you disobeying God's voice and, and putting yours. Because we live in a world where people are powerful people making powerful choices, reaping the results of their powerful outcomes they're trying to create. And sometimes those messes splash back onto us. If you want to explain why evil's in the world, that's it. That's it. You have a world full of powerful people deciding my way, resisting the voice of God. What we have in evil in the world is nothing divine and orchestrated. It's actually people being left to their own desires and being given over to what they want. That's always the result. But even in those situations, God has given you the Holy Spirit to speak to you through those with like wisdom. Like maybe I shouldn't do a backflip off this bridge into murky water that I've never seen before. Or for me recently it was like, maybe I shouldn't eat a gigantic burrito and then go on the teacup ride at Disneyland. Totally avoidable. But then the Holy Spirit's there too to tell you like, should you really go out now? Should you really do that with them? Should you really go there tonight? Should you really stand by while this is happening? Even in the midst of people making terrible decisions with their power, the voice of God actually is speaking to you in the situations, trying to help you not getting splashback on you. But knowing this, and I'm going to close with this, is that in understanding the discipline of the Lord, let me put it in this little box here, is that the discipline of the Lord is what happens when we receive a consequence from our decisions that was avoidable by listening to his voice. It's not the bad outcome. It's not the, the sickness. It's not the disease. It's not the people who are you know, out of relationship with you. The discipline of the Lord, when it happens, if it happens, is a result of him making you powerful and you deciding to resist his voice time after time. Because I tell you what, preceding every bad decision is God's attempt to woo you with his voice to steer you a different direction. I guarantee you. 
every bad decision is preceded with him trying to reach you. But his discipline is just letting you have your way because he made you powerful. He made you part of this kingdom to shape the world. And he is trying to reach you like me talking to my children as any good father says, you can do it. You're powerful. Your decisions and your choices, they're significant. You can loosen and bind things on earth and heaven. I've given you the keys. And listen, I know how this ends. I know that what you're about to do isn't going to work. I know it seems like a good idea to you, but what you think is a good idea is going to end in heartbreak. See, God doesn't, God doesn't speak the loudest to the most gifted. He speaks the loudest to those who listen. If you have a voice of God problem, you probably have that listening problem first. There's no such thing as like junior Holy Spirit. No one's got diet Holy Spirit or sugar-free Holy Spirit. Like you all have the same, Romans 8, 11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. You might have some cleaning to do out of your ears. But I suggest to you that we don't have a challenge of people who are addicts. We don't have pornographers. We don't have people who struggle and are addicted. We actually have a hearing God's voice problem. That he leads us and reproves us to be better because it's not who we are, but he also gives us a vision for what we could be because he made us powerful and he's like, I want to speak to you. I want you to listen to me. This is totally avoidable but he loves you enough to let you really shape the world for better or for worse. One of my favorite passages, if you feel like you've messed up life, let me give you a passage. This isn't up here, but I'm gonna give it to you as a bonus. It's Isaiah 30, 21. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, meaning whether you decide to choose life or death. I don't care what you've done, how bad you mess up. You'll always hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. So no matter how far you get off course, no matter what you do, nothing you do is irredeemable with the king. And nothing is gonna exclude you from his voice if you're willing to listen because at every turn, he's there to say, this is the way, walk in it. I love you guys. So good. You could just listen to that like four or five times. If you really listened to it and you actually did something with it, I promise you, your life would never be the same. It would be radically changed. I had one of my uh, children recently hid something from me. We were working together on something, and it had consequences for my life. And in the midst of my disappointment, uh, the Holy Spirit was like, uh, I just felt God say, now you know how I feel. And I was like, I wasn't even thinking about them anymore. Because we are so powerful. 
but we are nothing compared to what God wants us to be. And lately, he's been just taking me to the core of myself and asking me, will you walk, and the worship uh, team can come on up, will you walk at a completely new level of obedience to me? Because you are nothing like what I want you to be. And I don't feel, he's not telling me I'm bad. He's just telling me, you were born for so much more. And I just encourage every one of you, as you're winding this year down and ramping up, hopefully, for 2017, because we are building momentum for 2017. As you're ramping up for 2017, ask God, what areas do you wish that I obeyed you more in? What areas of my life do I need to listen more in? I've been asking that more. And a lot of times I don't even have to ask because he's pointing it out, which tells me he loves me. God loves you. That's why he reproves you. Such a powerful way to look at that. If you guys would stand and if our uh, prayer team could come up. Um, we know that some of you may need prayer and some of you may need friends. If you need prayer, come to the front. We would love to pray for you. If you need friends, go to the back. And all of you actually need this book. So go to the visitor's table, which is where it says, first time come here, surfboard back there, and get one on your way out. We're so glad that you came tonight. We'll look forward to seeing you next Thursday. Thank you so much for coming, and I just encourage you, ask God, where could I obey you better? How could I listen to you more? Because he is totally committed to your being powerful. So God, as these people go out tonight, as some of us spend a little more time in worship or get prayer, we just pray, Lord, that your blessing would be over us, that we would actually not only hear these words, but listen and obey. Thank you for the identity that you've given us. We love you. I just bless you guys as you go out tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.